This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach! Give me great food. Tacos! Give me adventure. Hiking! Give me a date night. Sunset cruise! Give me some smiles. Cheese! Give me more beaches. Beaches! What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to Savor, production of iHeartRadio. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we have an episode for you about Sherry. Yes. As always with these, drink responsibly. Yes. Yes. This is definitely, at least for me, Lauren, going to be fun times with pronunciation. Oh, yeah. Especially because some of the pronunciations are like, not ancient, but older pronunciations. And I'm gonna try my best. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, as we're gonna as we're gonna get into, um, sherry is a type of wine that has existed for a long time, um, mm-hmm. and uh, in a region that has a lot of like intersecting languages and uh, dialects of languages going on, and yep. over like a millennia. So, uh, so as language changes, we get more and more confused. Thanks, yes. language. Yes. And if that slightly panicked note in in Lauren's voice didn't tell you, uh, (laughs) this one was a bit more complicated than we were anticipating. Uh Um, But it's a very it's very fun and it's very fascinating. But certainly it was one where, as we were talking about before this, we had to kind of just stop at a certain point because a lot of people have a lot of thoughts and opinions have written a lot about Sherry Lots of research, so cool, yep. so cool, it is. and right, and also I had to stop. Yeah, um, <laughs> I I picked this one because you know we'd just done that episode on turtle soup, mm-hmm. and that involves sherry very frequently. And uh, I was like, ah, oh, that's a thing I don't know that much about, and I did not know how much I didn't know about it because there's a lot <laughs> more about it than I knew. Um, yes, <laughs> so <laughs> yes. delightful though. It is. It is. And I think it was uh, the one I was teasing at in our Garum episode where oh, I said I was okay. doing. That makes sense. I think for some reason I kept stumbling across articles about Sherry that mentioned Garum. And I was just like, oh, oh. the savor universe. Oh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I will say for myself, 
I mostly know sherry as a cooking wine. Please mm-hmm. don't yell at me. I can feel the yeah, ire of some people. Yeah. Um, it was my aunt's favorite drink. She drank sherry. Um, and an ingredient in eggnog. I think I've gotten more uh-huh. familiar with it in recent years, but it's still kind of something that I use mostly for cooking or the occasional cocktail. Yeah. Um, I don't have a lot of familiarity with it. I like a couple years before the pandemic, one of the posh little bars near our old offices in Atlanta had like was starting to get into sherries of different kinds. Like they had done like a year or so of being into vermouth and then they started in on sherries. And uh, so I I have a little bit of experience from that. But now I'm like, oh, heck, I need to go do a lot more delicious research. Agreed. Agreed. Um, and I'll have a note about that at the end. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yes. But before we get to that, uh, you can see any of our wine episodes mm-hmm. uh, for more information. Also, our wine plague, the great French wine plague, I think oh, yeah. we called it. Yeah. Wine blight, maybe. Um, that one plays into this as well, as it does with almost every wine episode. Oh, absolutely. All wine episodes, probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So see that for more information. But I believe... That brings us to our question. It does. Sherry. What is it? Well, uh, sherry is a category of wines made with white grapes, fortified with distilled spirits, and then aged in varyingly complex processes for years or even decades. Uh, Sherries can range from very dry to very sweet and can pick up all kinds of different flavors during that aging process, like um, woody, creamy notes from the uh, oak barrels, funk and brightness from the specialized yeast, a richness and spice from oxidation. So... Within this one category, you have a heckin' range of wines from from puckery, delicate whites to like near syrupy dessert varieties with these flavors from, yeah, like floral to fruity to spice to nutty to funky to rich. They are complex and traditional and still being explored. They're like port wines with with even more range. Um, (laughs) They're they're like looking at a historically black and white photo photo. and then looking at a version that has been like as accurate as possible color edited and and just realizing how vibrant the past really was. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those things I think, and we're going to talk about this a little bit more, but for a lot of people we have this, I will say me specifically, but I think huh. a lot of people have this kind of like Sherry is this one thing, but it's not. It is all oh, of yeah. these things. And I do love like the, you know, port wine with even more range. Like it's it's somebody who comes onto the stage and just commands it with all of the things <laughs> that they're doing. Like, oh well, I wasn't expecting this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a variety show in a in a yeah. single single product cat- category. Um mm-hmm. huh. okay. So uh due to protective European laws, most wines that are called sherry are made from grapes, uh, from mostly the Andalusia region of like south southwest Spain and are matured in what's called the Sherry Triangle there, which is this tiny cluster of three three towns and cities, like 15 miles apart at most. Uh, you've got uh, Jerez de la Frontera, uh, San Lucar de Baramida, and uh, El Puerto de Santa Maria. Yeah, so similar to Champagne, similar products that are made elsewhere or without following the, the sort of strict rules cannot be labeled Sherry um, or Jerez or Cherez, which are labels that are used in Europe. 
Though, there are a few other registrations of sherry varieties around, like South Central Europe, and several countries around the world do produce sherry-like wines. Um, However, today, for simplicity in the rest of this kind of intro section, which is very long, um, uh, I'm going to be sticking with the traditional Spanish varieties. Mm-hmm. Great. <laughs> because, okay, there are a dizzying array of sherries, perhaps especially if you are unfamiliar with the category. Um, the three basic subcategories of sherry are dry sherries, naturally sweet sherries, and mixes of the two, which are sometimes called sweet or liqueur sherries. All three of these start the way that pretty much any wine starts. Uh, you, you press grapes to produce juice, called, called must, and then use friendly yeasts to ferment it. The, the yeasts eat some of the sugars and uh, poop alcohol and flavor. Yeast poop. Yeah. Uh, then, uh, in, in the case of these sherries, you add alcohol that has been distilled from wine, uh, sometimes, a, sometimes a brandy, sometimes a, a neutral spirit alcohol, um, to bring the alcohol content of this wine, of this young wine, up to whatever you want it to be for the next step. And at this point, things can get pretty weird. <laughs> uh, for some dry sherries, you engage in this process that's called biological aging. And the biology here is the action of a new addition of yeast. Okay, so so you 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 uh, pour your wine from the fermentation vessel uh, these days, a stainless steel uh, cask, into an oak barrel, but you only fill each oak barrel about eighty percent full. You you uh, you rest the barrel on its side, and add uh, or or allow to develop a, a specialized strain of Saccharomyces cerevisiae um, that has co-evolved with winemakers to a uh, survive in higher than usual alcohol contents, and b to to form up in a really uncharacteristic, like, thick, rubbery, floating raft that covers the surface of the wine inside the barrel. The scientific term for this kind of, this kind of raft um, is biofilm, which I know sounds like a, like a prop in a Cronenberg movie, um, but it's, it's, just a, it's just a thing that some microbes do in order to grow, like, a more efficient colony. Um, like, the, like the mildew in your shower is a biofilm. It can't grow into the, the surface of the tile or plastic because it's too, it's too hard. It's unfriendly. Um, so instead, the mildew forms a film on top of the tile or plastic. Um, other microbes do this really frequently in, like, bodies of fresh water. If you're a hiker, you might have seen something like that. But ostensibly a food show, so okay. <laughs> in sherry, this biofilm is called the flor, uh, meaning flower or bloom. Uh, you know, yeast bloom makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it can be like one to three centimeters thick. That's like up to an inch. Whoa. I know. Oh, it's so cool. Um, okay. And, and what the floor does is that it limits the amount of contact that the wine has with air uh, and, and oxygen in air, thus preventing oxidation during aging. And, uh, and thus, the changes that the wine goes through as it ages produce different flavors and scents than other wines might. Very cool. So cool. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Okay. Um, so for some dry sherries, you, you you do this, you let this work for like a year, and then you enter into the next kind of weird step of sherry making, uh, the tiered aging system called the uh, criaderas isolera system. Um, 
we're gonna we're gonna get into it. Okay. Um, so so in this system, you've got a you've got a stack of aging barrels, like several rows high. Um, the bottom row is called the the salera, which translates uh, literally to like sill, as in like windowsill or door sill, um, like a like a threshold. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and then each successive row above is a criadera. Um, like 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 first criadera, second criadera, uh, and so on, and that translates to um, like like hatchery or nursery. Huh. <laughs> so okay, so so it works like this: um, the saleta on the bottom contains the wine that's been there the longest, and every year you draw aged wine from it um, to, to 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 bottle and and sell. When you do that, you fill that barrel back up with wine from the criadera above it. And then you fill it back up with wine from the Criadera above that. Um, uh-huh. And once you've done this uh, through all the layers, the top layer of barrels is where you add the new wine that you've just made. So sherries do not have a vintage. They're all blends. Again, that's pretty cool. Right? Um, very, very neat to think about this system and also I love all their terminology it feels very like hatchery nursery biofilm like, <laughs> yeah oh, oh. um okay uh, so the driest sherry type um called pheno uh carries on with, with the floor that uh, that that biological aging throughout production um and it winds up very pale uh crisp like like mineral to floral uh, there's a specific variety of pheno called uh, manzanilla that is from this one seaside subregion it's known to be a little bit briny okay mm-hmm. um but to create another type of dry sherry called uh, a montadillo finished pheno is taken and then aged more but without the floor this time, thus subjecting the wine to oxidative aging as well. So it winds up um, amber-colored and very complex, like nutty and herbal and rich. And there's another type called Oloroso, um, which is aged without the floor at all. Only oxidative aging is used, and it winds up like mahogany in color, um, nutty and, and with like spice and woodsy notes. Um, Oloroso is also fermented from the second pressing of grapes, so you're working with like a slightly different base material to begin with. Uh, finally, in the dry sherry category, you've got uh, Palo Cortado, which is made like an Oloroso, but with first pressing grape must instead of second pressing. And this can either be done on purpose because you want to do it, or when for some reason the floor colony in a fino barrel fails. And so you then go like, well, I don't want to dump it out. So you switch that barrel into an oxidative aging system instead. Mm, makes sense. It does. I love mm-hmm. it. <laughs> All these dry types are made with a variety of grape called a palomino. Okay. All right. And then. <laughs> then okay. there are those uh, those naturally sweet sherries. Um, our, our second category of sherries. Uh, which are made with grapes that are harvested late in the season um, and or sun-dried before the fermentation process in order to preserve some of their sugars, like develop extra sugars on the vine, preserve those sugars, and develop flavors. Um, fermentation is stopped before all the sugars are turned um, into alcohol, and then the wines are fortified and aged without the, the, the floor, without the biofilm. 
Um, these will be uh, deep in color and sweet with uh, fruit and spice flavors. Varieties of this uh, are, uh, there, there's there's three main ones, uh, Dulce, Moscatel, and uh, Pedro Jimenez, or PX. Those last two are named for the type of grape that they use, which are not Palomino. Okay, mm. cool, mm -hmm. cool. <laughs> and then, then, oh. um, <laughs> uh, you can blend dry and naturally sweet types together to create uh, uh, the core or sweet cherries. And these have characteristics of, of both, of the above. Um, they're like mid-sweet. Uh, the varieties that are called cream cherries, which are perhaps the most common in the English-speaking world, are liqueur cherries. Yes. That's yes. all I use in the eggnog. That mm -hmm. is what is generally called for, um, especially given that cream cherries uh, have been quite popular in, in England and came over to us mm -hmm. that way. Yes. Okay. <laughs> this is a lot of different types of wine. And so as yes. you might imagine, they are served in different ways. Um, the lighter ones are meant to be served chilled. The sweeter ones, um, room temperature. Uh, both are usually just served straight, often enjoyed with uh, with food, like snacks at a minimum. Um, they can also be mixed into cocktails, as, as you said at the top. Um, they apparently go really well with vermouth and Ooh. thus are popular as like a substitute for gin or vodka or whiskey in classic cocktails like a, like the Barantini or the Manhattan. Oh, cool. Yeah, right? Oh, I want to try it so much. Me too. I also want a shirt that says biological aging. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. We could make it happen. Uh, well, <laughs> what about the nutrition? Drink responsibly. Mm -hmm. Um. Note that while some types of sherry are uh, of like fairly normal wine alcohol content, like like 15% alcohol content, others are a little bit stronger, like up to like 22%. So so watch out for that. Um, however, uh, on like the flip side of that coin, note that this is about like half the alcohol content of, of most liquors. So if you're mixing it into cocktails, it'll be like lighter on booze, mm -hmm. which can be great. Yes, Absolutely. Uh, we do have some numbers for you. Okay, we do. Um, so there is an International Sherry Week that happens uh, the second week of November. 2023 will be its 10th anniversary. Um, it was created by this Australian expat living in Spain. And it is a, a, a collection of international education and celebration online and in person. As of 2022, it featured hundreds of participating establishments in 24 countries, including 410 cherry tastings, 109 featured cocktails, and all kinds of events. The one that stood out to me was Sherry Week Bingo in San Francisco. Yes. <laughs> Want to do it. <laughs> uh, they have reported increases of up to 500% in sherry sales during that week. Mm -hmm. I bet they have. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> uh, right before the pandemic, uh, Jerez, which is the, the largest city in the Sherry Triangle, um, they were hosting some 500,000 tourists a year, um, at, at least partially due to Sherry. Wow. They have their own Sherry Festival on the first Saturday of September. It's part of like a larger three-week festival that happens there. Um, it originated as like a harvest celebration. Every year, there is a queen of the vintage and and a parade to bring her like like through the town and to uh, one of the uh, bodegas, one of one of the um, oh, like wine cellars, uh, 
with like a parade that sounds very carnival Mardi Gras kind of stuff. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Love it. Mm-hmm. I hope she has a scepter or a crown. I didn't I didn't see one, but I didn't I didn't look up that many pictures. So listeners. So this is my bad. Yeah. No. There better be a scepter or something involved. (laughs) Or else what is it even for? Right? Sherry? (laughs) (laughs) Never. What? (laughs) One source I found claimed that the UK, the Netherlands, and Germany import the most sherry. Okay. All right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, intro to these numbers for you. Um, so Drinks International Magazine does these yearly reports on different types of, of alcohol um, uh, where they interview a um, hundred award-winning bars from 33 countries around the world. And they found that as of uh, like early 2023, 84% of those bars were carrying one sherry, 72% had two types and 66% had three types. And that's where they stopped. They didn't check if there were more. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Well, it sounds like most places have some sherry options, at Uh least one. Yeah. Yeah. Most, um, most like kind of like, like top tier, like, like game changer, like trend setting bars. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and sherry has been Trendy in one way or another throughout history. It has. It has. It's had its ups and downs, but we will get Mm -hmm. into those as soon as we get back from a quick break for a word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. I never thought I'd take my three young kids to Sicily to solve a century-old mystery, but that's what I'm doing in my new podcast, The Sicilian Inheritance. Join us as we travel thousands of miles on the beautiful and crazy island of Sicily, as I trace my roots back through a mystery for the ages and untangle clues within my family's origin story, which has morphed like a game of telephone through the generations. Was our family matriarch killed in a land deal gone wrong? Or was it by the Sicilian Mafia? A lover's quarrel? Or was she, as my father believed, a witch? Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver. And this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but 
you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. And yes, as we said, Sierra Past Wine episodes. Uh-huh. Also, as I think we've said in literally every of those episodes, <laughs> this is not the grape episode no. of which there will be multiple grape episodes. Someday. Someday. Not, not today. Not no. no, definitely not. We've got enough to talk about already. We do. We do. <laughs> All right. So according to some sources, the first known mention of sherry wine dates back to the first century CE when a Greek geographer claimed in one of his books that uh, the first vines, vines, not wines, <laughs> were brought to the Heres. I also saw Heres, but I think this goes back to the pronunciation changing over time. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Um, the Heres region by the Phoenicians in 1100 BCE. Wow. And yeah, archaeological evidence recovered in that area, including wine presses, suggests that people from what is now Lebanon brought their winemaking traditions and taste with them when they set up towns in this area. Yeah, and um, I didn't look into when and how the pronunciation and spelling of Xeres, um, uh, Z-E-R-E-S, uh, morphed to Jerez. Um, there, and again, right, there, there are just like a lot of intersections of dialects and languages going on here. And um, this is not this is not the point in time that I've done this etymology. Maybe I will in the future. <laughs> Ooh, that would be fun. Yeah. But certainly confusing for us at this current moment. Um, <laughs> but, yes. <laughs> yes. Okay, so the wine they made in this area was exported and sold all throughout the Mediterranean, perhaps especially to Rome. Um, and I think this is one of the reasons Garum showed up alongside. Oh, okay, okay, sure, sure. Sherry. Um, when Roman rule was established in this area in right about 138 BCE, that meant that trade opened up, um, including trade and sherry. And because of that, it garnered a reputation of a wine that was well-liked and a wine that traveled well. Um, in the first century CE, a writer described the proper process for making wine in Jerez from soil and grape types, um, best vineyard locations, best planting times, best harvesting times, and best times for all of these other tasks, uh, quality of must, like a really... They were already looking into this at this time. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then when Muslim peoples, largely from North Africa, arrived in this area and established power in 711 CE-ish, Jerez wine production continued on despite some rules around alcohol consumption. But people were mostly able to get around that by claiming that this wine could be used medicinally and things like perfumes, that it was used in the production of raisins, which... I want to come back to and visit. And of course, people, and particularly the well-off, still got away with drinking it. Um, A map from 1150 CE denotes what appears to be a town in the region called Sheris. Ah. Yep. Yep. (laughs) Yep. Um, King Alfonso X of Castile took part in Jerez in the 1200s and the wine industry there changed again and there was this a lot of fighting and violence around the shift in power 
And in order to combat that and grow economically, the ruling class handed out parcels of land based on class and sometimes based on merit. Um, And vines, along with cereal, became these crops that were required to be grown on these lands. Ah. And yes, uh, this meant that they became very vital to the local economy. And it's right around here-ish in the in the timeline where distilled liquor was developed, like like technologically developed. So, um, so I'm not totally sure when it would have started being added mm-hmm. to these wines, but it started to exist around now. So there you go. There you go. <laughs> yes, and even before all of this, uh, these wines were being exported to England where they were known after this town name, Charisse. Um, In the 12th century, King Henry I of England proposed this exchange of goods, English wool, for sherry. Um, Sherry became so important a crop to Jerez that a 1402 royal decree forbade anyone from not only uprooting these vines, any of these vines, but also from placing any beehives in the area because they were afraid the bees would damage the vines. No, Which I, I don't know if it's true at all. I don't. But... <laughs> I don't believe that's accurate, but I could be wrong. I could be wrong as well, but yeah, they were they weren't taking any risks. No, um, no, I see, I see that. Yes, by 1483, uh, growing demand, particularly from England, France, and Belgium as well, prompted the town council in Jerez to put into place the regulations of the Guild of Raisin and Grape Harvesters of Jerez. <laughs> quite a name. Uh, Mm -hmm. These regulations laid out all of the rules of how to make a sherry and the requirements of the final product. So they were really trying to maintain a certain level of product that was in high demand from these places. Something else that really boosted the demand was praise from some monarchs um, that people were like, oh, the the, the royalty is drinking it. I must try it. Hmm. Um, And so the market for sherry grew even more including in what is now America. With exploitation and colonization, that growth only continued, partly helped along by stipulations requiring that up to a third of cargo space on ships trading with the Americas go to goods from the Cadiz region, of which this kind of whole sherry area was, Mm -hmm. um, which I actually want to... That might be like a headache that I don't actually want, but I did want to look into more of this kind of like shipping rules around it has to have a third of this. Mm. Uh, But later date, later date, maybe. Yeah, that's okay. Um, Yes. (laughs) This increase in demand transformed some small businesses making sherry into huge, huge industries. And some wine investors even flocked into the area to get in on it. And I think this is one of the areas where I had to stop myself because it was a lot of I think if I knew more about sherry brands, I would have been like, oh, Uh, but a lot of those kind of bigger name brands, this is when they were kind of like setting up camp, uh, setting up shop. Mm -hmm. Um, Ships transporting sherry did have a pirate problem, um, but this interestingly only boosted demand in markets like England. um, For a couple of reasons, it's really interesting. Um, Once again, various monarchs, Bought sherry into fashion, and Shakespeare allegedly drank a few bottles a day alongside a friend. Huh. Um, and several of his plays do mention sherry in a very positive light. So, okay, yes, yes, yes. Um, and 
Even still, the industry continued to grow, as did the number of foreign investors. By some accounts, Sherry's made up 20% of the value of exports out of Spain by the 1840s. However, this is also around the time that taste in Europe started to change, moving away from pale, lighter wines to darker, stronger ones, particularly in Britain, which again was this huge market for Uh Sherry. So this caused some turmoil in the industry and a push and pull between finding a new market or evolving with the taste of the current market. Mm-hmm. Because the established rules um, that we mentioned around how to make a sherry, they became an issue um, in terms of any adapting or experimenting that people might have wanted to try to kind of meet the demands of this, the new tastes of the existing market. And this came to a head in 1775 with a lawsuit, kind of drawn out lawsuit that eventually led to the dissolution of the Vintners Guild and the doing away with all the strict rules that they enforced. Okay. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. But while all of this was happening, producers were honing in on what is now one of the most important characteristics of modern sherry. And that's the aging method, which I did not put the name in. (laughs) <laughs> the Spanish name because I thought I'd butcher it, but Laura mentioned it at the top. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. And also when experimentation with different grapes started happening on a larger scale, like people had been doing these things, but this is when they were like, oh, okay, let's let's really try some stuff. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And then, I feel like this whole episode is just and then. So, oh, my oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. In the late 19th, early 20th century, Phylloxera, which was this tiny insect that we talked about in our great French great French wine blight episode. You could find it. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Absolutely devastated uh, European vines and rootstocks, and it decimated these vineyards. Jerez vineyards making sherry were able to bounce back fairly quickly and even were prosperous in the early decades of the 20th century. However... Um, another problem arose around the question of what exactly is a sherry? It's very, you know. <laughs> fair, fair. I, I encountered that problem myself. Yes, as did I. Um, because, especially because sherry was so popular amongst the British, everywhere that they had colonies, there was sherry. And this led to some imitation. So a lot of, like, insert area here, sherry. Um, uh-huh. So to combat this, some producers sought out a denomination of origin or a DOP, which we have talked about several times um, uh-huh. on this show, but essentially is a set of rules and, and stipulations that determine what makes a product a product, like what steps and processes and qualities have to be achieved legally before a product like sherry can carry the name sherry. Yeah. Right. The first Spanish wine law published in 1933 mentioned wines from Jerez. So they were they knew in this area, like, this was a big deal. This wine has made us a lot of money. We need to do something about this. Uh-huh. Uh, also, <laughs> Sherry has appeared in numerous pieces of literature and visual arts. Like, just in a bunch of art. Sherry is mentioned. It is there. Um, so I think that was a part of their real desire to, to kind of, <laughs> to hone in on what sherry is. Yeah. 
because it did have this reputation and it was everywhere, but now it had been so murky about what that actually meant when you said it. Yeah. Yes. And as popular as it was, somewhere along the line, Sherry kind of fell out of fashion in a lot of circles. Um, like by the 1990s or thereabouts, in the United States at least, it became considered like an old lady drink. Um, yeah. And and in the next couple decades, like between 2002 and 2015, global exports just about cut in half. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I mean, certainly that was the impression that I had. Uh, yeah, yeah, that it was this, like, sweet old lady drink. Like, yep. and that's what mm -hmm. it was. Mm -hmm. Yes. That is starting to turn around, though, um, because it is, Sherry is experiencing a surge in popularity. Uh, in fact, right before the pandemic, I went to this class on Sherry at Atlanta Food and Wine, um, big event here in Atlanta, and sommeliers there at this event were tell where they were talking about, like, how much... It's growing and all these categories that are growing within it. And they said that it's especially younger folks who are expressing this interest in Sherry, which is different from previous customers and these reputations that a lot of us had associated with Sherry. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's seen a lot of growth during the pandemic, too. Between August of 2020 and August of 2021, Sales were up over 20% globally, um, and they were even higher than that. That's, you know, an average, so it, clearly they were higher in certain markets. Like in Australia, sales were up 41%. Wow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, to end on a down note, uh, mm -hmm. as with many products, climate change is a concern to sherry production, not only in how it may affect um, the growth of the grapes that are used to make these wines, but also in the floor. Like, it might affect the way that that biofilm grows during that aging process. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I hope, I there hope is, for a good future for Sherry. <laughs> there, is, there is research in place figuring out how to... Um, uh, you know, economically, environmentally sustainably create um, or, or perhaps recreate as these micro um, microclimates are lost, like like help preserve them with technology. Mm. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's well, in the works. It's that's good to hear. Well, maybe we'll revisit this with uh, happier news in the future. Yeah. <laughs> Which yeah. would be cool. Oh, gosh. Mm -hmm. And this is certainly one where I would love for listeners... Oh, right yes, yes, mm -hmm. because we just covered a lot of territory, and I feel like there's a lot of territory that we did not cover, so if there's, yeah. like, a story or a type or, yeah, like, if, if you have any Sherry-specific memories, oh, my yes. goodness, I want to hear them. Um, oh, okay, one one final note, actually. Um, I have to admit, I started... I started uh, Googling, like, like which liquor stores around town carry Sherry yeah. um, uh, a little bit while we were talking here. Um, and, I, and I wanted to mention, I did not mention during my, like, exploration of all the different types of Sherry. If you see on a label the words dry or pale dry or medium, um, those are all words that indicate that it's one of those uh, uh, blended uh, liqueur. Sherry's. Okay. okay. 
So okay. if you're if you're just going through, seeing the label dry on a sherry does not mean that it's a dry sherry. It means yeah. that it's of a, course not. It means that it's a dry version of a liqueur sherry, which can be very dry. <laughs> This is why I have to have like a whole little note thing in my phone when I'm shopping for wines at the store. I don't know what this means. Yeah. (laughs) It doesn't mean what I think it means. (laughs) I if if you're if you're able to, like if you're just going out in the wild and looking for what a shop has, I always recommend um, if if you're if you're like me and you have this like kind of base knowledge, but nothing Mm -hmm. more, nothing deeper than that. Just 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 Google, just Google it and come up with a review for the stuff and that'll probably tell you what you need to know. <laughs> yes. I'm not embarrassed about it. I'm just like, no. yeah, I'm going to stand here for seven minutes and read <laughs> no. a bunch about these different wines. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. What's up? Mm-hmm. You can also always, if you're not uh, avoiding people like Lauren and I sometimes, too, yeah. you can ask a person. Who oh, geez. There. That's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> but you can also, I, I do it too. I just usually Google. I'm like, okay. Yeah. Okay. This is All right. What I want. Here we go. Yes. Yes, but oh. also if you have recommendations, listeners. Aha. Oh my goodness, please. Yes. That would be great. Yeah. Um, but I think that's what we have to say about Sherry for now. It is. It is. Yes. Uh, we, uh, we do have some listener mail that people have previously sent in, though, and we are going to get into that as soon as we get back from one more quick break for a word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Every family has skeletons in their closet. Mine certainly does. Ones that go back a hundred years and reach thousands of miles back to our hometown in Sicily. Ever since I can remember, my relatives told the story of my great-great-grandmother who was killed by the Mafia. I'm Joe Piazza, and in my new podcast, I'm taking on a generational vendetta, visiting the scene of the crime, confronting mafia experts, tracking down Italian officials, and even consulting mediums to set the record straight on my great-great-grandmother's mysterious disappearance. And in between the fact-finding missions, I'll be drinking a lot of wine and eating all of the pasta. Come to Italy with me to solve this hundred-year-old murder mystery. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega-hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but... 
you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. And we're back with Listeners There's a lot going on, but it feels kind of gentle to me. Yeah. A gentle sherry. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm excited about this. I get to tell a joke. Ooh, okay. All right. All right. Yes. All right. Chad wrote, the Colesaw episode reminded me of a joke I saw recently. You're familiar with Murphy's Law? It means that anything that can go wrong will go wrong. But have you heard of Cole's Law? It's thinly sliced cabbage. Hey. Oh. <laughs> oh. I actually have heard this joke before, but I still appreciated getting it. <laughs> oh, every time. Every time. Oh, absolutely. Just brightens my day. Oh, my gosh. I did try to work that into our pun title options, but it was too complicated. Oh, yeah. For, like, that's, a, a that's a lot for a title. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I see you. I see you. It's okay. It's all right. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> we still worked a pun in there, so it's just fine. We did. As long as that is that what's happened, then that I'm good with that. But yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Catherine, we think uh, wrote in. They 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 didn't they didn't leave a signature uh, in the email, but that was the name in the in the header uh, email header. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, yes, uh, they wrote. Salvadoran Curtido is wonderful and incredibly easy to make. For folks who would like to enjoy cold coleslaw but aren't fans of mayonnaise, um, it is perfect with any number of things. The combination of vinegar and Mexican oregano is wonderful. Of course, the best thing to have Curtido with are pupusas, uh, little stuffed corn or rice tortillas, usually filled with beans, cheese, pork, a loroco, a unique green, or a mix. Pupusas would be a great standalone episode. Where I live in Silver Spring, Maryland, there are probably at least 10 Salvadoran food trucks and 10 Ethiopian places, so I am never wanting for pupusas, cortito, or injera. The small business owners from these two countries who arrived here as asylum seekers from brutal civil wars a few decades ago have done so much to enrich the community in this area, just like previous generations of Jewish immigrants from Europe and Black people fleeing the Jim Crow South did. As an immigration attorney, I love seeing the strength of our new communities on each street corner in food businesses, which create so much connection and warmth and deliciousness. Ah, mm. mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> a that's so cool. Yes. That um, that is extremely rad and important work that you're doing. Um, mm-hmm. That's amazing. B, uh, ufta. I want to eat all of that that you just talked about right now. Yes. Very jealous of your food options. All the things that you mentioned I want. And also, yes, uh, pupusas, I think, are that's on our list. That's a big one that we want to do. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <sighs> Goodness. Um, and yeah, yeah, yeah. See, right. Yeah. Um, as we say kind of all the time on here, like Atlanta is a really um, uh, inner a multicultural community 
And mm-hmm. we are so lucky to have so many different kinds of food uh, from all of these wonderful different people. Uh, yes. It's so good. So good. It is. And I have all the cravings. All the mm-hmm. cravings. All the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yes. Okay. Cravings or not. Uh, thanks to both <laughs> of these listeners for writing in. If you would like to write to us, you can. Our email is hello at saverpod.com. We are also on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at saverpod, and we do hope to hear from you. Saver is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thanks, as always, to our super producers, Dylan Fagan and Andrew Howard. Thanks to you for listening, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island, it becomes part of you. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.